outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is about how easy it is to make poor decisions as the rut starts to ramp up. Last week's episode was a cautionary one about how easy it is to get your rut timing wrong. And if you didn't listen to it, go back and do that before you listen to this show. I'm going to dive deeper into the day-by-day progression of the rut. This episode is also going to be about calling, decoying, and some of the strategies that we all believe will help us bridge the gap from being deer watchers to being deer killers. If there was a week in the whitetail hunter's world that maybe needed a hype music type of soundtrack, it's this one. In fact, since Mark is so into EDM, maybe he's got the perfect playlist for you. If not, it's okay. You can still get excited without the backdrop of glow sticks, bass drops, and industrial drugs. The reason for the excitement is obvious, since we're in the sweet late October, early November window, and that means the freaking rut is here, but is it? Is it really? I mean, if you're getting out there in October with the idea that it's going to be on fire, you're most likely wrong. Even the first few days in November can be a snooze fest, or they can be unbelievable. The difference usually hinges on weather. Yet, let me throw another qualifier in there. You can have the most perfect rut conditions ever and still be around so much hunting pressure that the daylight movement is almost non-existent. Like so much of deer hunting, sometimes the private land Heavily managed rules don't apply to the public land hunter. That's life, my friends, but it's going to be okay. Let's take a step back and think about weather means this week first. The bucks should be on their feet more, no? The window in which to encounter them in the morning and in the evening grows a little bigger by the day and can open up fully if a super cold front comes in. That cold front can also bring in the other hunters because I'm not saying anything new here. Everyone knows that pre-rut plus cold fronts equals good hunting, but it doesn't equal good hunting everywhere. 
Unless your dad owns 4,000 acres of prime southern Iowa ground, you're probably not going to see a crazy amount of chasing out in the wide open all day long. You should be able to count on some cruising in the woods and a little more carelessness around daytime travel in general. That's good, but it doesn't alleviate you of your responsibility to hunt smart. During this week, which is full of so much promise, I personally do a couple of things. I hunt every chance I can, and I make sure I have enough spots to make that happen without sacrificing my future odds. This means that if it's a little warmer than it should be, or the wind isn't right for the spots I really want to hunt, I dig into the backups. As cautious as I'm telling you to be about hunting right now, I don't want to dissuade anyone from going. This is a great time to be in the woods, period. You just might not want to go sit your best rut funnel for three days in a row yet. Burning out a spot like that before it's really happening, it just doesn't do you any good. And sure, you can sit that one stand for two weeks in a row and eventually kill one, but can you really? Maybe, but it gets a hell of a lot harder if you spooked every doe group in the neighborhood last week. Also, ask yourself, do you have the resolve to sit a dead spot for days on end, believing that a buck will eventually come by? That's a tough one. I've volume hunted spots I truly believed in during the pre-rut and the rut, and it has sometimes worked. Other times, I've left the woods after days and days of trying, tired, frustrated, and totally befuddled. There are no guarantees they're going to come by, or at least the buck you want is going to come by. The more options you have for the diverse conditions you're likely to face, the better off you'll be. Have you noticed this? In what I've been telling you for weeks and weeks and weeks since this foundation podcast dropped, options are important. Mobility is important. Now, this is tricky here, my friends, because you've got to decide on pushing a dead program, maybe on a killer funnel or bailing on it. Confidence is one of those great intangibles that makes people good at stuff. You see it in sports. You see it in schooling with kids. And you see it in bow hunting. You got to gauge your conviction on whether you should ride a rut spot out or move. Why are you confident? What is the wood showing you? And don't forget, while it might feel like the rut is going to give you a whole bunch of mulligans if you get busted by does or scrappers or big bucks, the pre-rut won't. And neither will the deer, even if the rut should be banging, but it's just limping along. In either case, if you slip into a buck's comfort zone and he catches a big whiff of you, or sees you up in the tree trying to take sunset pics or selfies for the gram, you probably won't kill that buck there, no matter how out of his mind with lust he gets during the rut. This is maybe the biggest point I'd like to make with this whole episode. Even though it feels awesome to be in the woods right now, because the rut advantages are growing bigger by the day, the pre-rut, even the last few days of it, will still feature cautious bucks. They won't tolerate mistakes, at least the ones that live with any kind of real hunting pressure. Pay attention to that because it leads me to something I firmly believe in. And that is that most of us would be better off not calling or decoying or using sense right now. I know that's counterintuitive and probably disappointing, but let me make my case. I know for a fact you can kill deer by calling them in or by decoying them in, or if they catch a whiff of the good stuff that you've put out for them. I've done all of that and I've done it on public land and it's worked. But every time has been with bucks that were in their comfort zone and seemed very confident in their travel. They were the right deer for the right trick, and it worked. But it also didn't work a lot. 
it works even less the further you are from the heart of the rut. So right now, you might be thinking, it's prime time to rattle. After all, it freaking should be. But rattling in general is low odds proposition, and it's guaranteed to draw attention to your location. If you're not seeing bucks acting tough and not really getting the real woods vibe that things are about to pop off, should you be slamming the horns together? Probably not. This also goes for throwing out some chasing or tending grunts every 10 minutes. While you might think it's a no harm, no foul type of situation, it probably isn't. You're probably harming your chances, especially if the timing just isn't right. The same goes for putting out a full body decoy into a meadow on your favorite tract of public land. A buck might see it and he might come in to fight it. Or the doe group living there might see it and turn absolutely inside out while snorting their way toward the horizon. What's the risk reward for your plans? Would it be better to wait a few days until the calendar and the conditions fall into lockstep and offer you a better chance? This might not seem like it means a whole lot, but for most of these tactics, a lot of us would be better off waiting a week. We're just not using them at all. I know that sucks, but after three decades of bow hunting pressured deer, I'm a firm believer in figuring out where deer like to walk and then getting there and then shooting them. The success rates I've seen on calling, on decoying, and on using scents are scary low. Scary low, my friends. Worse yet, they often feel damaging and occasionally show me flat out that I'm causing damage by letting me watch deer spook away right out of my life. This is important, so I'll reiterate it once again. Using any tactic to attempt to draw a deer into bow range might seem like a low-risk deal, but it's probably not. The deer that slip downwind of your calling session the ones that see you moving, or the ones that just booger at the sight of a wonky deer decoy are deer that you've just educated. On the flip side, you're out there to have some fun, right? If the promise of a blind rattling session makes you all warm and fuzzy, then by all means, clang those bitches together. It might work, and if it keeps you hunting and on stand longer, then that's not all a bad thing. Just think about why you're doing what you're doing and whether you want to take the risk. The same goes for calling to deer that you actually see. I've snort-weezed in bucks during the rut and killed them, and have blown good bucks completely out of the county by snort-weezing at them. Same goes for grunting. I've had bucks run in on public land after grunting at them during the rut. But we aren't in the rut this week, are we? We are in the pre-rut, and the likelihood of a mindless response is lower now than it will be in just a few days or a week. Consider also what your competition is doing. If you're a public land hunter, or maybe you hunt out east, you hunt in the Midwest, you hunt down south on smaller tracts of land, private ground even, you've got lots and lots of people hunting the same tracks around you, you can bet your ass that your competition is out there calling away. You can bet that every hunter you meet, at the very least, is carrying a grunt tube, probably a bottle of dopey, and likely a set of rattling antlers or a rattling bag. You know they are blind calling. How many deer are they going to educate to these tactics? How effective is your calling session going to be when it's the sixth rattling sequence a buck has heard in three days? All of this is about cumulative negative association. This is why a two and a half year old on public land will bust you bigger than shit and run away without hesitation even if he spots you from a hundred yards away while a buck that has been raised in a tightly managed property with little pressure will often become less nocturnal at five years old. Think I'm joking? 
one of the most prominent whitetail experts out there told me that this is exactly what happens on his farm. He casually said to me one day that his bucks get much easier to kill when they are fully mature. I guess that's probably because they've never had a negative interaction. And every single time they've spotted or smelled or heard a hunter, they just got to walk away scot-free. That's not the case with those pressure deer you're chasing. You're not hunting deer like that, are you? I mean, if you are, dig into your bag of tricks, have a blast. If not, be careful. You can't control the other hunters on your lease or your chosen chunk of public land. And you know a good percentage of them are going to throw everything they can at the deer. This doesn't stop the rut, and it doesn't stop the advantages the pre-rut gives you. But it does dull them, and it certainly begs of the good hunter a realistic strategy that takes into account mostly where the deer like to be and how to get in there ninja style to stay as undetected as possible. I've mentioned this in past episodes, but it does bear repeating. I'm not anti-calling or anti-decoying or anti-using scents. I'm an advocate for careful usage. If you've got a good buck at 50 yards in the brush and he's fat and happy and making a rub, but definitely doesn't look like he'll come your way, give him a grunt, provided you think he won't bust you. If there are a couple bucks locking tines across the river from you and the sun is set, give your own antlers a tickle to see if they can get them across. There are situations, even with pressured deer, where making a little contact is the right choice. It's all dependent on the moment and your personal read on the body language of the deer. This is something I should probably expand on. So let me talk about puppies. I love training dogs, and there is nothing more satisfying than working with a good little lab pup and showing it something that I want it to do. Better yet is getting a positive response and then daisy chaining multiple behaviors together to really start to craft an awesome dog. This is satisfying stuff, but also can be tremendously frustrating because a puppy has the same attention span as my two-year-old child or your average outdoor television host. One distraction for a puppy in a training session can tank, which means you've got to be reading the dog in every interaction, every moment of your interaction. Really, really reading the dog. If it's ready to work, you'll see it in the eye contact, the crispness of its actions. You'll just know. With bucks, weirdly enough, the same rules kind of apply. A buck that is slinking around and just looks nervous is a deer you should not call to, ever. A buck that is slowly walking through and just has some swagger to his step, that's a different story. If he's confident, he's callable. If he isn't, he might not be callable and might be worse than that, scarable. That's not a word, I don't think, but I'm going to use it anyway. This is one of the things that you can learn through experience only. And one of the reasons why I begged you way back in the summer to go out and spend some time glassing deer, glassing those bachelor bucks. You don't learn to read buck body language with trail camera photos, but you do by watching them through a spotting scope. You also do by watching them interact with their environment through your binos when you're saddled up on November 1st too. Pay attention to their demeanor and use that to inform your decisions to call. Also, Pay attention closely to your response rates. Where you hunt, there is a specific buck-to-doe ratio. There is a specific amount of hunting pressure. There is a specific age structure. All of this is individualized to your hunting spots. If the deer in your woods love a good rattling session, keep at it. But be honest about the responses and the reactions to your tactics. 
This will tell you an awful lot about whether you should just keep trying them, try them only in highly specific conditions, or force yourself to go old school and wait for natural movement to bring the deer past you. I know that doesn't sound as much fun, but planting your butt in a good spot waiting for the deer to come to you is about as rock solid of a deer hunting plan as there is, regardless of your individual hunting situation. That's the real key in the pre-rut. Time in the woods. This might seem too early for all day sits, but it's not. It's not the time when I'd burn all my PTO to sit dark to dark, but if you've got a day or two or three to work with, you're a hell of a lot better sitting 17 feet up in a good spot than sitting at home listening to your kids fight over who has to go downstairs to get the laundry. It's also a good time to shut off your social media and forget about what others are saying. You'll hear about an early rut, or the rut isn't going to happen until such and such date. You'll see gripping grins of giants and read about the hot doe that had six Pope and young bucks on her tail. None of that matters. The rut has been happening at the same time for thousands of years, and it'll happen at the same time for thousands more. You know that the last week of October is good, and that the first couple of days of November are even better. Unless you're way down south, and you got to bump this stuff back a little bit to coincide with the rut in your area. Someone three states away bragging about a great rut hunt on October 27th does nothing for you. It doesn't matter one way or the other. Work with what you actually know about deer behavior now. Operate under the correct assumption that the hunting is only going to get better by the day and that a safe strategy is the right one for now. There will be time very, 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 very soon to go nuts and lay it all on the line. For now, it's a matter of being more patient and more disciplined than most hunters in the woods. If you do, you'll have a better chance of having prolonged, exciting hunts and you'll keep yourself in the game better. You'll be able to sandbag it when the conditions say so or dive in when they dictate. You'll also have the option for when the rut should be firing on all cylinders, but seems to be sputtering along in what you thought were your best spots. Options, options, options. Hunt now. Enjoy it. Just understand that every move you make today might affect your chances tomorrow if you've still got a tag left. And if you do, please keep listening because next week's episode is all about the single best seven days of the year for all deer hunters. That's it for this week, my dear obsessed brothers and sisters. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast. Check in next week for more deer hunting advice, and be sure to go to themeateater.com slash wired to see the full host of articles, podcasts, and videos we put up weekly to answer all of your deer hunting questions. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.